was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of
By the way, the bag's for the kids. The kids need to come get it. Ages 10 and under and take it back to seat. Come get it. That's okay. My goodness. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you today. Find a seat somewhere. We'd appreciate it. Live streamers, wherever you're watching from, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're at, it's good to have you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, and by the way, real quick. Um, Thank you uh, for the team that put together the food for us this morning. Let's give them a hand for uh, feeding us a little bit today. We appreciate that. They always do a great job. So we appreciate you guys spending time yesterday and today prepping that food. Um, we thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, come on. We can do better than that. Good morning. There we go. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord. It's not just uh, this time of year, but each time we gather together, it's always good to be together, uh, to worship together, to be in the house together. Uh, let's take up tithe and offering uh, at this moment. So you have a tithe and offering envelope there in the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a chair in front of you in the back, wave your hand around where the ushers can help you out. Also, the ushers do carry around prayer cards. If you have a prayer need, we'd love uh, to join in faith with you. All you got to do is fill it out and, and find me or Margo. Wave your hand around. Find her. Give the prayer cards to us after church. Uh, we will pray over them. Our Monday night, Monday night prayer uh, team will pray over them also. Uh, we just want to join in faith with you. Now, having said that, we, we appreciate your giving, uh, your faithfulness to the house. And, and our giving is simply a response to the faithfulness of God. How many know that God is faithful? Amen. And every time you give, I don't care if it's in the house, you're tithing, the offering, I don't care if it's the things that the Lord puts on your heart when you're out in the, your communities and your workplaces. Every time you give, it is a testimony to the faithfulness of God because God is faithful. And he always goes before us, does he not? He always provides. He's always leading the way for our lives. And we just follow him and hang on to him. He will always see us through. All right. Let me pray over your tithe and offering. If you have something, you can bring it down to uh, the buckets this morning. Lord, we thank you. To gather today to be with you, to be in your house, to worship you on this, this wonderful, special Sunday. And I pray that 
All that we do today glorifies and honors you as we give today. Yes, that it glorifies and honors you because of your faithfulness and your provision and the increase of our life, Lord, that we respond to you in the same way. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. If you have something, you can bring it. I do have some announcements real quick. By the way, uh, if you have not noticed by now, today is what we call One Big Family Sunday. That means all the kids are in with us for the whole entire service. So, yes. And we love our kids being with us. We do this on the months where there are five Sundays in a month, which is this month. Now, just so you know this, generally, One Big Family Sunday, we have uh, the last Sunday of the month is our One Big Family Sunday, but we did it on Easter every year, our kids with us for Easter. So the last Sunday this month, they will have a kids' church. But today, uh, for this five-week month, and because it's Easter, our kids are with us. Now, we also understand that may make it a tad messy at times. You may hear some kids. You may hear some. It's okay. Because I'll tell you what, if you're in a church, you don't hear the kids church needs to hear some kids. How about that? And the kids are the life of the church. They're the future of the church. And our, our faith that we receive, and your faith is passed down to you, is it not? You didn't come up with this on your own. What we are entrusted to do is to pass our faith to the next generation. But you can't do that if there's no kids around. So we like our kids to be with us. So they're here with us this morning, just so you know that and you see that. If you're a guest with us today or you've been with us for a little bit and you've never filled out a Connect card, we'd love for you to do that. And all this is a way for me to connect with you. If you fill that out there in the chairs in front of you, uh, fill that out. Again, you can get it to Margo, Abraham, or Kelly right there. And if you do that, they have something for you. And if you want to know a little bit more about our church, if you're new with us, that's what this blue uh, fold over is. Just a little bit of information about our church. And I like what it says on the back. You belong here. So hopefully you take that to heart today. So these two things are for you. Um, announcements on top of that. Um, tomorrow, one of our small groups meets. And I was, where's Lori at? Lori's been pounding me to say this. So I'm going to say it. Um, we have different small groups that meet in our church, one of them meeting tomorrow at 11 a.m. It's, it's Christine's small group, so if you're a part of that, um, be here for that. Or if you want to check it out, it's here at 11 o'clock. That's for uh, ladies in the church. And if you can't make that small group, we have several different ones meeting. Just let me know, and we'll get you information about that. A couple other things real quick is don't forget, this coming Friday, we have a men's hangout night. It starts at 6.30. We've got some food coming in, a devotion, some worship, and we're going to do some things together as guys. So that's uh, junior high age and up for the men. Then April the 29th, there's a women's event right here, Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 in the afternoon. Uh, lunch provided, and, and they have some different things happening for the ladies. Both these things cost $5 just to help us cover uh, some of the costs of it, but there's a sign-up for both of them. So, guys, if you're coming next Friday, you haven't signed up, please do that also sign up for the ladies back there uh, for their event. If you have questions about that, you can see Margo. She's got all the answers because I don't. And, uh, but you can ask me about the guy's stuff. Amen. Well, this is one, one day a year you get to see me in a tie, so take a picture. Now, the other time you'll see me in a tie, if I marry you, you'll see me in a tie. If I bury you, I will also wear a tie, but you won't see it. All right? So... <laughs> Easter, you get to see me inside. Notice I didn't even clip it up the whole way, so I wore a tie today. Kudos to me. All right. If you got your Bibles, John chapter 11, you can go there. And I know we got the kids with us, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach for a little bit here, give you a word today, uh, and then we'll, we'll send you on your way for your Easter happenings today. But Jesus is alive, Amen. amen. 
Do you realize that every week we celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive? It's just this one time a year on what we call the church calendar. It brings it to complete focus. But we celebrate every time we come together the fact that we believe that Jesus is alive. So John chapter 11 and verse number 17. We're going to pick up mid-story here. We're going to get to the resurrection of Jesus in a few moments. But I want to touch on uh, something that Jesus said on his way to Lazarus. His friend Lazarus had passed away. And Jesus caught word of this and and, uh, started on his way to there. The resurrection of Lazarus, Lazarus being raised from the dead, is called one of the seven signs that we find in the Gospel of John. Um, John also has the seven great I am statements, I am the bread of life, and and these different statements. So John, very poetically, very uh, aptly and pulling from Scripture, uh, the Old Testament Scriptures, he has what we call the seven I am statements of of Jesus and also the seven signs of the kingdom that Jesus performed. And the raising of Lazarus from the dead is the last of those seven signs that we find in the Gospel of John. Now, the thing about the signs that we see in the Gospel of John is they paint a picture of the kingdom of God. So when Jesus starts doing the things that he does, the things that he taught, the miracles that started happening, the way that he lived... He is in one sense announcing that the kingdom of God has arrived. It is here. And the things that are happening are signposts of that fact. God's government, his rule and his reign is reestablishing itself in a lost world. In other words, God is making all things new. And he's on his way to his friend Lazarus who has passed away. And we pick up mid-story, John chapter 11, verse number 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now that I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And here's one of the great I am's of the, of the gospel of John that, that uh, precludes one of the great signposts of the gospel of John And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here is a question that everybody ultimately faces in their life. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus is the resurrection and life. This is, this is a wonderful moment, a great moment of self-revelation that Jesus speaks to her. I am the resurrection. I am true life. Amen. Now, here's the thing about Lazarus. We know the story. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Is he not? 
Now, I don't know about you, but Lazarus is not living in the world today, is he? At some point, Lazarus died again. And you know what? He stayed dead. Jesus didn't raise him back from the dead when he died again. He's dead. Somewhere, his bones are somewhere buried in this earth. See, the thing about the kingdom now, we have a tension of it that, yes, the kingdom of God has come now, but it's not yet. It is here now functioning. God is saving his world, but yet it's not here yet in the fullness of the kingdom that's going to come. So it's kind of like this. We see the, the wonderful things that Jesus did in the scriptures, and we, we stand and we believe in these things, the miracles that he did. But, but I do know this. How many of you have ever received what you would consider a blessing from God in some manner? Anybody? But yet poverty still exists in our world. Does it not? How many of you, God has ever touched your body physically in some way, but yet you will die? You know, when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples and he calmed the winds and the waves, right? He showed the sign, the power over creation as he is creator, but yet today there's tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and people die from these things. The kingdom has been inaugurated and we see the signs of these things in our lives and in their wonderful apprehensions of our faith, but yet the kingdom is yet to come in its fullness. And though Lazarus was raised from the dead, he is not the prototype of our future resurrection. He's a sign that points to it. But Jesus, in the middle of this, he makes this proclamation, I, me, I am the resurrection and the life. And in me, all the things that we wonder and want and proclaim will come true. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would turn there. I'd encourage you to read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 because it's about the resurrection. So much to be said here. So much uh, that Paul writes about concerning the resurrection. Chapter 15 and verse number 20. says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Not a question to Paul. And notice what Paul writes of him. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First by a man came death, that's Adam. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, that's Jesus. For in, as in Adam all die, but so also in Christ shall made all made alive, but each in his own order. Christ is the first fruits, and that at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So what Paul is getting at is this. We know that Christ has died, Good Friday. We had a wonderful time, a very uh, uh, time of reflecting on Friday night, our Good Friday uh, time together. Christ has died, but we believe today that Christ is risen. And Christ in his resurrection, Paul's writing, he's the first fruit. He's the prototype. He is the example of all who will fall asleep that are in him. And this will come in the final fulfillment because Christ has died, Christ has risen, but Christ is coming again. And when Christ comes again, comes the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. It's no longer a now and not yet, but it is a now. Because in him is the resurrection and the life. 
So Jesus will be our final resurrection. We are bound up with him in this. He is our life and salvation now. He is our life and new creation now. He is our life now, but he will be our life and resurrection and eternal life to come. And in certain ways, this has already begun. So let's read about Jesus. John chapter number 19. I love going to the gospel of John on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. I, I love the poetic nature that John writes when it comes to the resurrection. But let's start with John chapter 19 and verse number 16. So we're picking up mid-story of the crucifixion of Jesus. John 19, 16. It says, so they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic means Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was also written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priest of the, of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write that, the King of the Jews, but rather that this man said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. See, whenever somebody was crucified, and the Romans crucified a lot of people, often they would put some sort of a sign above the person on the tree, the cross, this wooden stake that they crucified them on, the offense for which they were crucified for. And Pilate had written on there in languages, different languages, so everybody who would come by would understand what this man was hanging there for, the king of the Jews. And he did this for a couple different reasons, probably. Number one, he wanted everybody to know, if this is really your king, I'm really in charge of this place, not him. He was making a statement. But another way, he's sort of mocking the Jewish people and, and even the, the leaders of the Jews, the, the chief priests and the elders and the, the Pharisees and so forth, mocking them by saying, this is really your king, really? This is who you ascribe to? And he's, he's just making a show of it. So much that the Jews, they, they protested this being written there. But the thing that Pilate wrote in mockery was actually true. What was written in a way to not only put Jesus down, but the Jewish people in general, it was absolutely true. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Jesus is the one that fulfills the scriptures and the prophecies and all the law and the prophets hang on what he does. He's the fulfillment of them. But because he's the fulfillment of them, listen to this. He's not just the king of the Jews, but he's the king of all people. He's king of the world. And the wonderful thing about the cross is it the triumph of God. See, God died in flesh. He died in humanity. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 8 says this, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But there's something that we need to say about that death and continue on to chapter 
19 and verse number 28. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Showing his humanity here. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hip branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, big words, underline it, highlight it, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The death of Jesus is the triumph of God because in that it is truly finished. Victory over the powers by dealing with sin. Victory over rulers and authorities, both seen and unseen. They are stripped. They are shamed. They are defeated at the cross. Kelly, if you'll put that first slide up for me. It is absolutely finished. There's no more need of sacrifice. There is no other way needed. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He is the life. All things are fulfilled in total. Jesus has done it, and it is complete. Amen. And there we stand. That work on the cross was final in every way. It's final in its dealing with sin, and it's final in the defeat of the enemy. It's final in dragging the shame of the world there and judges it. The cross is total in what it does. And the amazing thing about the cross, where it seemed like a loss, it is the victory of God. N.T. Wright writes this, and I love this, this little paragraph here. Listen to what he says. When Jesus of Nazareth died the horrible death of crucifixion at the hand of the Roman army, nobody thought him a hero. His movement was over. Nothing had changed. This was the sort of thing that Rome did best. Caesar was on his throne. Death, as usual, had the last word, except that wasn't the case. As the followers of Jesus look back on that day, they understood something that was so shocking, so scandalous, so nonsensical, a claim that his death had actually launched a revolution. That by 6 p.m. on that dark Friday, the world was actually a different place. They believed that with this event, the one true God had suddenly had dramatically put into operation his plan for the rescue of the world. Amen. And we believe that. That what seemed like a loss, the loss of hope, the loss of the hope of those who followed him, was actually God instituting his plan to save our world. Is the love of God on full display. But what is finished by his crucifixion leads to the beginning of new creation. Let's go to verse 38 of chapter 19. See, after these things, after the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly in fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission to do so. So he came and took away his body, 
And Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as it is with the custom of the burial of the Jews. And now in the place where he was crucified, watch this, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, in other words, the day before the Passover, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And they, they had to get this done because you can't work on the Sabbath, so they had to prepare Jesus and bury him before the start of the Sabbath. You realize that Jesus in his death was at rest on the Sabbath. Very symbolic of the work of God. It's finished. It's complete. No more work needs to be done. And you realize for us that means that we find our Sabbath rest very symbolically in the work of God and our salvation. It points to our Sabbath rest in eternity. One way of looking at our salvation. But Jesus was laid in a garden tomb. There's so much symbolism here concerning the Garden of Eden, an original creation where man lived with God until he sinned. Jesus is making that all right once again. John chapter 20 and verse number 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb, both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes laying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the others, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The disciples went back to their homes. Uh, but, but good old Mary, watch this. But Mary stayed and she stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she went, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw the two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. He is the beginning. He is the end. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Again, drawing on the, the Genesis garden narrative, supposing that he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus called her by name, said Mary, and she turned to him and said to him, Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended yet to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that the things he said these things to her. 
The very first word of the risen Jesus comes from a woman. She's been called in history the apostle to the apostles. On the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath, listen, symbolic here, all things are being made new. Newness, new beginning, new creation. Jesus has been resurrected. Pulling on the gardener and the garden theme of, of Eden, God is remaking his creation. Kelly, that second slide, if you'll put it up. In remaking his creation, it comes through this, that Jesus is resurrected. He is alive. And as he said before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he is the resurrection and the life. He's the first fruit of resurrection for those who believe. This is our future. This is our hope. Do you believe this? The biggest question we will face, do you believe this? Because all things hinge on this. As we've been saying in the series leading up to today, the cross of Christ is the turning point of human history. It is the greatest thing that can happen for you. It's the best thing. No other thing is better for you than Jesus dying on the cross, taking our sins to the cross in our place. No other thing. But yet that wasn't the end of the story. God backed up the crucifixion and what the crucifixion meant by raising Jesus from the dead. And the power of God, Jesus raised from the dead. And what's so incredible about it, new creation literally had its feet on the ground in this lost and dying world. And it becomes our example. It's the prototype. And this is our hope. So no matter what God does in your life today, it's still not all here now. No matter how much God blesses you or how much he touches your body, it's not all here just yet. But see, this is not the end of the story. Our hope, and all things are bound up in this, our hope is that Jesus is coming again. And just as he has been resurrected from the dead, so shall we be. And eternity with him is all of our hopes and our dreams and the things we really want will be realized. And it's centered on him. That's what today teaches us. Today isn't just a celebration that Jesus rose from the, from the dead, and it is, amen. But it implants into our hearts that this is for me too. It's such a wonder and as a pastor, you know, such a wonder, I can count how many funerals I've, I've presided over. Mourning and, and, and weeping and lost loved ones. Some, sometimes sometimes the, the fullness of life somebody lives, they're 80-some, 90-some years old, and, and it's really a celebration. They lived a good life, but I've also presided over some funerals that were tragedies. Young people killed in car wrecks. I presided over a funeral as a stillborn baby. So many different things that I've experienced. But the message I always bring at a funeral, no matter the situation, this is not the last word. 
this is not it. This is not the end. It's a simple moment in this person's time of life, but eternity awaits. And you know what? God is going to fix it. God's going to fix it. See, I don't understand why the baby that I did the funeral born for that was stillborn. I don't understand why that happened. I have no answers. I can't. But I know God's going to fix that. He's going to correct it. That baby's going to live for eternity with God and with us. And the parents that it was stillborn to will have their child. They're going to have it. Amen? Because we believe that God is making all things new. I can't promise you there's going to be no tragedies in life. I can't. But I can promise you God's going to fix it. That's what the resurrection means. I can't explain all the stuff that happens in the world. As a pastor, people come ask me lots of questions. A lot of times I say, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I wish I did. But the answer I do have is God is going to finish the work. He is going to make all things new. We will live for eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. And all the tears are going to be wiped away. All the pain will be removed. All the tragedies of life will be gone. He's making all things new. That's what the resurrection of Jesus means. Do you believe? Do you believe? It all hinges right there. Do you believe? I believe. I Listen, I have great hope. I have great hope because I believe in the power of God. I have great hope because I believe God is faithful. I have great hope because I don't think he's just going to leave it as it is. I have great hope because he is who he is and he said what he has said and I grab it. And I will not let go until I meet him again. Amen. So I, the question for you today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. I know we're going to head home and we're going to make some food. We're looking forward to it. I will be involved in making this food. Relax. I'll help. I'll help. She might not let me help, but I will try, I promise. And that's all nice. And, and, and we got family homeless. Sometimes it's a family day for people. It's wonderful. But look, before you start thinking about that, think about this. I don't want you to leave that door today without making a commitment in your heart that you believe. That this isn't just a holiday, some religious thing that we do every year. But what this day means will change your life. And I'll always save you and, and do the work of the cross, forgive you of your sins. But he'll change your perspective on all things. And look, he'll give you hope. Our world needs hope. They need to know in the midst of a messed up world when life isn't perfect and things fall apart and life doesn't go always the way you want it to, there's always hope because Jesus will see us through.
The world needs hope. I think there may be some of you today that need hope. So the question is, do you believe? How about this? Everybody with your eyes up, heads not bowed, looking at me. You can look at the ceiling, look at your neighbor, I don't care, but stay awake here for a moment. Some of you all need Jesus to forgive your sins. Some of you need to surrender your life to him. That's the avenue to new life. You've got to lose your life to gain life. Surrender. Some of you all need to stop with your excuses to why you won't. Some of you just need to walk into him and let him grab hold of you. You know why I love the story of the prodigal son? God doesn't demand the son to get the whole way to him and to start chastising him. And the father doesn't do that. Just want you to know everything you did that was wrong and, and just start screaming and yelling at him. And, and, and the, when the father sees the son far off, he starts running down the road. And that's God running towards each one of us today to grab a hold of you. He's not angry at you. He's not waiting to chastise you. He wants to love you. He wants to forgive you. Why in the world would he come down on a cross if he doesn't want to grab hold of you? Why would he do that? Because he wants to give you life, true life, abundant life. So give yourself to him today. Amen? And let him do the work that only he can do. Now I forgive you, but show you what life is really all about. Amen. That's the life that he gives. So if that's you, again, I'm not, I'm not having you close your eyes, bow your head, or anything. Well, I'm going to ask you to do something semi-tad, a little bit bold. I'm not going to have you come down front. But at your seat, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. That way I can see you. And then I'm going to track you down and talk to you. And just have a little bit of a word with you. And if it's nobody, that's great. And I'm assuming before everybody leaves, we're all taken care of today. But not, if not, this is the greatest moment of your life, right here, right now. Best moment for you. If you just want to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins or give your life to him or come back to him, raise your hand. Let me see. Anybody in the house? Put them up high. Let me see. Put them up. Amen. So I, I want... Judas, Samara, Margo, look around because you can help me find these people afterwards, okay? They already put them back up. You guys put them down already. Let me see. Okay, amen. I'm going to track you down. How about we give them a hand? Give them a hand for being bold this morning. Amen. How about we all stand up and pray? In Jesus' name. Go, go grab those people that you saw real quick. Go find them and take them in the back for me. All right. Lord Jesus, let's all pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today. We celebrate you, your resurrection. We celebrate you. We thank you so much for what it means to us. You have changed us. You have changed the world. Lord, we live for you. Lord, whatever we do the rest of this day, we eat and, and fellowship and, and we're with family, Lord, that is centered around you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you. We give ourselves to you once again. We honor you. 
In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. One more thing. If you're with us today, you're searching for a church home. We'd love for you to keep joining us. If you have another church you're just visiting, go, go bless your church. But if you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to make this your church home. You can talk to me about that. We'd love to have you. Other than that, be blessed. We'll see you Wednesday night, next Sunday morning. Have a very good rest of today.